We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Highest win! 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 66-65 Georgetown. Our post-game show is next. This is Georgetown Basketball on ESPN 980. That, the legendary voice, the legendary call of Rich Schwatkin, the only radio play-by-play voice Georgetown has ever had. He's been doing the games for 48 years. And unfortunately, in the last few years, he hasn't had many of his signature Hoy is win, Hoy is win, Hoy is win calls. Uh, by the way, Rich is not only a legend in this town, he is one hell of a nice guy uh, as well. But Georgetown is the lead on the show today because they have hired Ed Cooley to be their next head basketball coach. That is the breaking news of the day locally and in the sport of college basketball. Ed Cooley at Providence the last 12 years, his hometown of Providence, seven NCAA tournament trips in 12 years at Providence with just one Sweet 16 that came last year when Providence made it to uh, the Sweet 16. By the way, with uh, a point guard uh, that I'm very familiar with, one Jared Bynum, who played at Georgetown Prep uh, and was a first-team uh, All-Met. Uh, they lost to Kansas last year in the Sweet 16. But Ed Cooley is a really good basketball coach, and Georgetown got themselves as good a coach, uh, as big of a name coach, as I think they could have hoped for. I don't want to diminish Georgetown's stature to the point where it sounds like I'm being way too, you know, Maryland guy, which I am. I'm not a Georgetown guy, even though I love the Thompsons and, uh, you know, as I've said many times, had a chance to work at the radio station with Coach Thompson. By the way, that ESPN 980 at the end of Rich Vodkin's call, that was obviously a call from like 10 years ago because the station hasn't been ESPN 980 in about 10 years, roughly. Um, But, uh, you know, Georgetown has fallen on tough times, and it is a resurrection of the program situation. 
You know, Ed Cooley, according to many people in the know, um, was close with Coach Thompson, and Coach Thompson loved Ed Cooley uh, as a coach. And, um, you know, I'm not sure how many others out there with Ed Cooley's stature would have been interested in the Georgetown job. If Ed Cooley had declined to take the Georgetown job, I'm not sure where they would have gone. Look, it's a great opportunity, just like any job at a big conference school in this market. And we're talking about Maryland and Georgetown. They're the two, they're the two behemoths. They have been the two behemoths in the market. And all due respect to GW and AU and Mason and everybody else, Maryland and Georgetown and their presence in the DMV have dwarfed the other programs for a long period of time and obviously have had the most success, both programs being national championship uh, programs, national champion programs, Georgetown in 1984 um, with Coach Thompson uh, when they beat Houston uh, in the Seattle Kingdom uh, for the one title that they had. Uh, of course, that one with Patrick. They were in two other championship games in 82 against Carolina and lost of course, the famous Fred Brown to James Worthy pass. And then, of course, the iconic you know, images of Fred Brown and John Thompson hugging at the end of the Houston final two years later. And then as a potential repeat champion, losing to Villanova in one of the great upsets in Lexington uh, the following year in 85. But Georgetown is a program with unbelievable tradition, unbelievable brand name awareness. But it's a program that's been dead for a few years now. Uh, I mean, you've got to go back to JT3, who did a hell of a job there. He took that team to a Final Four. Remember beating Carolina in the Elite Eight before losing to Ohio State uh, in the Final Four. But that Carolina game in East Rutherford in 2007, excuse me, um, when they beat Carolina to go to the Final Four, it, it has been slim pickings since. A lot of, you know, during those JT3 latter years, a lot of early round exits as a higher-seeded team. Uh, And then, you know, they went in a very weird kind of situation to Patrick after firing JT3. Uh, JT3 was, I think, one hell of a coach. I think Ed Cooley's one hell of a coach. Um, And as a Maryland guy, let me just say, I don't think it's great for Maryland that Ed Cooley's in town. But what I am hoping is that because he and Kevin Willard are friends, that maybe Georgetown and Maryland can start to play each other uh, on an annual basis. We shall see. But it's a great hire uh, by Georgetown. Um, And he's got work to do, but he's coming into a situation where it's a fertile recruiting ground, as we know. Um, he's got to you know, get people interested because unlike Maryland, Georgetown doesn't have that built-in massive fan base. You know, In many ways, you could make the case that Georgetown always was more of a national program than it was a local program. Maryland's got the much bigger alum base in town, much bigger you know, student body, much bigger alum base that stays here. While Georgetown typically has a lot of people from outside the city that go and live in New York and Boston and, and L.A. and San Francisco and Chicago after they graduate from Georgetown. Um, but Ed Cooley uh, has a chance 
to get people excited. And when Georgetown's good, they can fill up Capital One when they're really good. And my guess is, is he will turn them using the portal, uh, the transfer portal, into a much better team right away um, and into a team that contends for an at-large bid in the Big East year in and year out. They have not had an at-large bid at Georgetown. They won the Big East tournament, remember, that got Patrick the extension uh, in 21. But they have not had um, an at-large bid uh, since JT3's last tournament appearance. So it's been a while since Georgetown's been relevant in college basketball, and they went outside the family for the hire. Now, you know, he's close with the family, uh, was close with Coach Thompson, um, but uh, interesting, look, I'm surprised, not surprised based on recent discussion, recent rumors over the last couple of weeks that Ed Cooley was a target for Georgetown and that he was actually uh, interested, but I'm surprised because last year when Maryland went after Ed Cooley, or at least inquired about Ed Cooley, Um, he wanted to stay at Providence. He and his wife are both from there. Uh, He's got a phenomenal practice facility. He's got an 11,000-plus seat arena, the Dunkin' Donuts Center in Providence. He's the only show in town. They fill that thing up regularly. Um, He had a really good gig, you know, a gig that he probably could have stayed in for the rest of time. But here's the big difference between Maryland last year and Georgetown this year. There are reports out there that maybe the relationship he has with his AD isn't as great as it used to be, but Georgetown, and we I've not yet, as this news is breaking today, seen what the money will be, but I've been told that this is going to be a deal worth $5 million or more a year. We'll see. I mean, I may stand uh, to be corrected here, uh, but um, Georgetown, with their powerful alum base, ready to pay big money to Ed Cooley, uh, and he will come down here and have a different kind of challenge than he had at Providence. I think, you know, you could make the case Georgetown's a better job than Providence with a bigger upside. But really, you're in the Big East now. Um, By the way, the Big East doing very well, obviously, in this year's tournament, and it's a great basketball league. Um, Providence, a different recruiting area, even though Ed Cooley's recruited down here before. Um, But... um, Georgetown has kind of a longstanding brand that Providence has never had. And so we'll see. It's a good hire for Georgetown, for sure. Um, And I would expect Georgetown to be a competitive team almost immediately with what you're able to do with NIL and the transfer portal right away. For Maryland, it means a big-time competitor in the market is back. Um, For Kevin Willard, but again, um, as I mentioned, it would be nice to see the two programs come together and figure out something that I think and have said many times many for many years would be a top five, you know, sporting calendar date uh, in this town. And that is Maryland versus Georgetown every year. You know, you play that game on the Saturday in December when the Army-Navy game is being played and there's no other college football being played, and you can't play it on Sunday with professional football, that will always trump, you know, everything else. 
uh, that's going on. But if you take that second Saturday in December, you know, when Army and Navy play and it's the only game, it's the week after the championship games, and it's the night of the Heisman Trophy presentation, all right? And maybe what, the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not thinking ahead here, actually. As I'm saying this, that may be the first weekend of the new expanded college football playoff format. So if that's the case, then you may have to back it up um, a week, um, but play it in a spot where you don't have a lot of competition with football in particular. You get a TV deal every year and have it nationally televised on ESPN or Fox Sports Net or whatever, um, and you play that game You know, one year at Capital One and one year at Xfinity. I've said before, I personally wouldn't have a problem if they played it at Capital One each year and just split the tickets, 10,000, 10,000. I still think you'll end up more times than not with more Maryland fans in there than Georgetown fans. Um, But it would create kind of a scene down in Chinatown that could become an annual event. But my preference would be Xfinity one year, Capital One the next. Uh, Let's do this thing eventually. Uh, And maybe these two coaches will put it together. Uh, But that is your story uh, in town Uh, breaking news-wise, because as of the recording of this podcast, there is no new news on the ownership situation, with the exception of a story that Ben Standig wrote, which I will get to here uh, shortly. Uh, But the show today, presented by MyBookie, go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, all you have to do is wager your deposit amount one time and you're eligible for a quick cash out. It's perfect for the tournament. I've been giving out smell test picks. They are 12 and 8 through the first two rounds. I had a massive 5 and 0 Saturday, 2 and 2 yesterday, 7 and 2 over the weekend. By the way, Saturday was one of the best days wagering I've had in some time because I had more than just the five games I gave out. And I heard from various people uh, offshore, let's just say, who said to me that Saturday was one of the best tournament days the bookmakers have ever had. Uh, It was a major anti-public contrarian day, especially with uh, teams like Kansas and Duke, not only not covering, but losing outright. God, I love Tennessee on Saturday. Uh, I had, let's just say, enough on the Vols on Saturday, uh, both money line and plus uh, the number. But go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, and they will take good care of you. One guest on the show, a good one, Stanford Steve from Scott Van Pelt's Sports Center show, will join us uh, and we will talk tournament and we will talk some football as well and you'll want to stay tuned because I've already recorded the interview uh, with Steve until the very end when he weighs in on Sam Howell. Um, Steve was um, friends with Phil Longo, the offensive coordinator at North Carolina, uh, with Mac Brown during the Sam Howell years, and he has um, a strong opinion about Sam Howell and Sam Howell's future uh, in Washington. So we talked some football uh, in the last segment of the show, so uh, make sure you listen to that, those of you that are more interested in that than the college basketball discussion, which will come up um, in the next segment. But uh, Stanford Steve uh, will be on the show. So Saturday, 
was a strange day in that, man, there were a lot of rumors flying around about the sale is going down. There were various reports that the sale had happened uh, and it was going to be sold to Josh Harris. Um, uh, Harris is part of the Harris Mitchell Rails bid, we believe. Um, But yeah, there was a lot of internet rumors going on that the sale was uh, imminent or about to be completed, if not already completed. Um, None of those, you know, none of those social media sourced stories, and I looked at all of them and I was getting texted all of these. uh, Look, Saturday for me was a basketball day. Um, now, when this team actually does get sold and it's announced officially or reported officially from somebody that we've heard of, um, it will cease to become any day other than uh, a day of celebration. Um, but the, none of the people that were reporting this stuff, and I don't want to um, impugn any of these people, uh, but I didn't recognize any of the the sources as as credible. Maybe some of them were. Um, but, uh, it just didn't seem to me that it was actually going down or had gone down. I reached out to multiple people that I've been talking to a couple of them on the periphery of people in the know. And one in particular that is close to one of the potential, um, owners of the team. And he said, all, all is quiet. Uh, everybody came back and said, all is very quiet. In fact, and nothing is imminent at all. Um, as in, you know, it had, had happened or was about to happen Saturday night or yesterday. Um, my favorite on the social media front, though, by far and away, was this tweet from a dude named Josh Taylor, at Josh Taylor FB. He tweeted out at 9.04 p.m. Saturday night, can confirm Jeff Bezos was at Dulles International Airport this afternoon. Sources say he met with Dan Snyder and company at Lido's in College Park. That was funny. That was a good one. Um, can you imagine Bezos, Snyder, and company at the Lido's in College Park finalizing the deal on the sale of the team to Jeff Bezos? Look, here's my position. It's been my position for a month plus. I believe this sale is moving forward. I think it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Look, every time I say sooner rather than later, at some point it's going to become the later. Um, but I, when I say that, I mean somewhere on and about the end of March, early April time frame when the owners uh, get together. Um, and I believe Josh Harris is going to be the winning bidder of the team. And it'll sell somewhere between $5.6 to $6 billion dollars. I've been with that uh, conclu- you know, projected or predicted conclusion for about a month plus. I'm still on that. That's what I think will happen. I have no idea if I will be right or not. Um, but I do know uh, that Saturday night the team was not sold. Um, Sunday the team was not sold despite all of the activity on Twitter. Uh, but um, the fact that it's all quiet everywhere and everybody's buttoned up, I think could be a sign, although they're all under strict confidentialities anyway. Um, but I do think we are probably nearing something here in the next, you know, days or certainly the next weeks as we approach, you know, you know, within a week of the owners' meetings uh, in Scottsdale. Uh, Arizona. And uh, it will be an exciting time when it happens. Um, Remember this uh, also, that the announcement that the team will be sold 
um, is an announcement of the team being sold. The finalization of a deal may take a month or two months. The announcement, Ben Standig told me this morning on radio, of the Walton family, the Penners, I believe, that they would be, um, that they were the winning bidders of the Broncos. Um, it was two months after that that the actual uh, deal was finalized. And what will be set is some sort of final closing date for the deal where, you know, the final docs are signed and the wi- and the money is wired into Snyder's account because they still have to go through the approval process of getting three quarters of the owners to vote on it and approve of the ownership group. Now, the good news on that is Josh Harris has been vetted. He was a bidder on the Broncos. He's already a very small stakeholder in the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, But the whole group has to be vetted and then voted on. Um, But I do feel good about it. And I think, you know, of course, there's part of me that it, it worries about the impulsivity and the unpredictability of Dan Snyder. And what could happen potentially between now and the day that it is scheduled to close and the funds are transferred. Um, Now, what Ben Standig had in The Athletic was a story that he broke on Saturday night that Washington, with their new player contracts, you know, think the Deron Payne player contract, any of the other free agent players that they've signed, that the contract um, is now, the contracts for those players, excuse me, is for the players to be paid their signing bonus money later than what is typical for an NFL player signing a contract. So the payout date typically on the signing bonus uh, money, the, the money due upon signing, is typically due 15 to 30 days after the contract is executed. So as an example, the Duran Payne deal was done a week ago. Typically, the signing bonus money, for him it's $28 million, um, is you know, paid at least the first first tranche of that payment is paid within 15 to 30 days. Ben reported that the commanders have extended the payout date by two months. Uh, so he said essentially using the Duran Payne contract as an example that May 12th, 2023 is the date in which the first amount of what they owe him per the contract for the signing bonus money is due. And sources told him that this could be an indication that the Snyders were pushing back the payment dates so that the new owner would have that responsibility after they purchased the team. Makes sense. Washington historically has paid, um, Ben wrote, um, typical of what the rest of the league does, which is 15 to 30 days. But they're looking at 60 days now before the first payment on the signing bonus money is due. So that was the news from over the weekend. Um, And interesting news because it's another indication, if you believe that it's tied to the Snyders don't want to pay out any money until the team is sold and they want to put that on the new owner, that makes sense. Other than that, the other stuff, I, I can't tell you if any of it's credible or not. 
Um, it certainly wasn't coming from the Washington Post. It certainly wasn't coming from the Athletic. It certainly wasn't coming from Rappaport or Schefter or you know Josh Cosman from the New York Post or from any major outlet. Uh, and my guess is when it happens, um, it will come from one of those entities. My guess right now is it'll be one of those NFL reporters that will actually have the news before anybody else, a Schefter or a Rappaport. That's my guess. I have no idea. I just want it to happen. Um, I wanted to, before we get to Stanford, Steve, read this real quickly. Uh, Kevin, appreciate your work and love how much thought you put in to things. Well, thank you, Dan. I appreciate that. You can tweet me, by the way, at Kevin Sheehan, D.C. But there's always a but after a compliment. I think you're missing an important part of Sam Howell's draft result. It was the COVID draft. The number of players eligible for the 2022 draft was much higher than normal. In a normal draft, he would have been at least a fourth-round pick. Wasn't Kirk Cousins drafted in the fourth round? Russell Wilson? Dak Prescott? Question mark, question mark. Dan, excellent tweet. I appreciate that. Um, And I know why Dan tweeted this to me. It's because of what we've talked about here in recent weeks, and that is, you know, Sam Howell's fifth-round status for me means that they're not going to invest an inordinate amount of time, you know, allowing him to, you know, either make it or not make it as the starting quarterback. A fifth rounder doesn't get the same leash or the same amount of time that a first round quarterback gets. It just doesn't happen. And I had read the um, the tweet from the guy Gary last week. I remember his name because he called twenty twenty three. This has to be the season of Sam, as in we've got to give him 17 games. And I said, you know, we discussed this uh, with Tommy on the show last week. That's naive. Teams don't give fifth rounders, you know, a season. They just don't. They give first rounders a season. They don't give fifth rounders a season. I hope Sam Howell's the answer. And by the way, his draft status of being a fifth rounder, if he can play, doesn't matter at all. I understand that part of it. My point has all along been that one out of the last 129 fifth rounders or or beyond has made it, and that's Tom Brady. The other 128 have not. They've not become great quarterbacks. So that's why teams aren't giving, you know, years – to a fifth-round investment. It's not a big enough investment to allow for that much time. So I don't want to give Sam Howell a year if they realize he can't do it. Like, if you realize that a first-rounder is not what you thought he was when you drafted him, you're still going to give it time because you're going to feel like, well, we saw something in him to draft him in the first round. We're going to give him time. You don't do that with fifth-rounders. So... Uh, that was why Dan, you know, sent me this tweet. I'm, I'm sure of it. And Dan, it's a phenomenal point. The COVID draft last year had a lot more ineligible players for the draft. By the way, this year's draft will be because essentially when COVID happened, anybody that was a freshman, sophomore, junior, uh, senior or redshirt senior had the opportunity for an extra COVID year. 
So depending on when they took that extra year and what year they were, these drafts are going to have more players in them. So yeah, in a normal situation, you're right. He probably would have been a fourth-round pick. He was the first pick in the fifth round. So yes, Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott. By the way, Russell Wilson was a third-round pick, not a fourth-round pick. But um, to your point, I guess... To your point, you're right. He would have been a fourth-rounder in a normal draft. You still, by the way, with a fourth-round pick, are not going to allow for an entire season to figure out whether or not the guy can do it if you don't think he can or if you're skeptical as to whether or not he can. To me, Sam Howell has to show in this offseason and in training camp, and if they give him the early part of the season, the very early part of the season, he's got to show something that says, wow, this guy has a chance. And then we can talk about making 2023 the season of Sam. Other than that, no. I hope it happens. I hope he shows enough promise. But if he doesn't, and Eric Bieniemy in particular – says, yeah, he's not what I thought he was. Well, they're not going to feel pressure to give him a lot more time if their gut is he's not going to make it. And that's where the draft status comes in. That's been my point all along. You invest more time in things in which you've invested a lot into. Washington did not invest a lot into Sam Howell. Doesn't mean he's not going to make it. But the odds certainly would say, based on fifth round and later, that the odds are pretty long that he will. And fourth round and later, the odds are still pretty long, but they're better. But they're better because we just named Kirk Cousins and Dak Prescott, who obviously have become top half of the league starting quarterbacks for a period of time. Uh, but that was a good tweet, Dan, and I appreciate that. Um, I do. Uh, one last thing before we get to Stanford, Steve, and that is – because we're going to talk a lot of tournament with Steve before we get to football. But real quickly, on Maryland exiting against Alabama, um, I thought that the Terps were overmatched athletically, and I think they've got to get more athletic. Alabama is what you, we want to become, you know, in terms of that level of athleticism, the number of you know pro prospects having an elite an elite pro prospect on the team like they have in Brandon Miller. And while I was very upset that that Julian Reese was whistled for some fouls in the first half, the second one was ridiculous. It was a terrible, terrible call. Even Gene Steratore jumped on and said it was a terrible call. They held with it, and I think it completely changed what Maryland wanted to do and the game plan. And by the way, the way they started. They got off to a 9-2 to start against Bama. And I think it impacted Maryland's ability to be more competitive in the game. Um, but I don't think they would have beaten Alabama. I thought they were excellent defensively. And that was what held up and was pretty consistent all year long. They were an excellent defensive team. But I think that Alabama had too much and that Maryland wasn't going to win that game, even if Julian Reese had played 35 minutes instead of 20 minutes. Um, but... Uh, so my big takeaway from Maryland's loss, which was an expected loss, they were an eight point underdog is you just have to get more athletic. You got to get pros, uh, on your team because, you know, being a two seed, being a one seed or being a two seed as Bama was a few years ago when they beat Maryland, uh, by 19, um, in the tournament in 21, that's where Maryland should be. 
That's the neighborhood that we all want Maryland to be playing in. And I think Kevin Willard has them headed headed in that direction. It's got a top, you know, 10 to 12 recruiting class coming in. I think Maryland will be very active in the transfer portal. And then I also think, you know, there's a chance between Jameer Young and Hakeem Hart and maybe Dante Scott that one or maybe two of those guys will come back for a COVID year. Uh, Maryland should come back as a ranked team next year, uh, especially with that recruiting class coming in led by Deshaun Harris-Smith. Um, and uh, and I think they'll have a really good chance to be a preseason ranked team. But you know, being preseason ranked, they've been preseason ranked a lot over the last decade, over the last many years. Um, but you know, being in that level of competing uh, for one and two seeds, you know, there haven't been enough of those years. I mean, I look, they were four seeds and three seeds and five seeds, you know, going to the tournament. And certainly in 2020, they were on the verge of being a two or a three seed. And that was really the team that had pros on it uh, and had a legit chance. Um, But look, Kevin Willard has to have time to get his guys uh, into the program. And he's going to do that. But the last thing I'll say is I think he did an unbelievable job this year. I think when you come in in, you know, late March – and you've got to use the portal, and you've got to add players, and you've got to try to keep some of your players, and you've got to decide whether Akutis Wahab is worth keeping or letting go to Georgetown and you know, convincing the players that are here to stay here. He had recruited Dante Scott you know, when he was at Seton Hall, and he knew some of these players. Um, he obviously needed to keep Reese, and I think he understood that. Um, and getting the point guard in Jameer Young was absolute paramount. I don't even think, though, Kevin Willard knew that Jameer Young would turn out to be the player that he was. Jameer struggled, I understand, um, last couple of games of the season. Um, But uh, a phenomenal first year. The expectations were low. They were picked 10th, even though there were people out there that were picking Maryland to be kind of the sleeper because they were an older team. Um, there were several of those, you know, Big Ten, you know, writers that said, "Look out, Maryland's a, a better than what the media picked them to be," which was tenth before the season started. But still, I had no expectations that they would win 22 games, vie for the second spot in the Big Ten. They ended up seventh, I understand, in terms of the seeding, um, tied for third or whatever um, with the 11 and nine record uh, in the league. In, in the league, but they had a chance had had they held on against Penn State to have been the two seed behind Purdue um, in the Big Ten. I did not have those kinds of expectations. I did not think that in his first year they would be a tournament team. And after they got blown out a couple of times early by UCLA, by Michigan, I mean, they lost to to Michigan by 35. They were down by 40-plus to UCLA. Um, You know, I was concerned. But he did one hell of a job. This team was good on defense all year long. And, look, they were great at home on offense and defense. And uh, they won a game, and a memorable game against West Virginia in the tournament. Uh, But for those of you that have reached out and said, no different than Turgeon, out in the first weekend, give me a break. Okay, just like I said, give me a break on Turgeon, who I know is a good coach, and I've always said he's a good coach. And Maryland was getting to the tournament every year pretty much. But they weren't getting to the next weekend. This is Kevin Willard's first year. He's got to have a chance to get his guys in. And we'll see how he does on the recruiting front. You know, not just in one year, but over the course of time. They got to get more athletic. They got to get bigger, longer, and more athletic. And when they do, look out. Uh, But... 
I enjoyed the journey of this season, even though it ended against Alabama. The the one thought, uh, the other thought, because I've had more than one, um, the last thought on this is it's really a shame that they lost to Penn State in that final game of the season. It was crucial. Why? Because it cost them a seed line at the very least. Um, It cost them an opportunity to end up with a better draw in the Big Ten tournament, which could have really enhanced their seeding. And being an eight seed meant that they not only got the num- a number one seed, but they got the number one number one seed in Bama. I'm not saying they could have beaten Houston. They would have not been matched up you know, against Purdue in a 1-8 second round uh, game. Um, but that Penn State loss uh, in Happy Valley at the end of the season cost them the opportunity to be a seven seed, ha- cost them the two seed in the Big Ten tournament, which could have led to another win, maybe a, a semifinal trip at least in the Big Ten tournament. And who knows, they could have been on the six line facing an 11 and then a three. You know, and instead of playing Bama, you know, they could have ended up with, you know, a team like Baylor, who Creighton beat, although I, I think that would have been a rough matchup. A team like Xavier, you know, potentially. If they had been on the two line, hell, they could have ended up with Princeton, who upset Arizona. Um, they could have ended up with uh, Marquette, who Michigan State beat, who I think would have been a tough matchup for the Terps as well. But the point being that Penn State game was costly. Had a 16-point lead in the first half, 15-point lead in the second half, lost at the buzzer on a you know crazy kind of a bounce. And if it won that game, they would not have been an eight seed. They would have been a six or a seven. And who knows? They might still be playing because matchups are everything. And the seeding uh, in the NCAA tournament obviously hurt them with who they had to play in the second round. Bama, by the way, Wow, what a defensive team. I knew they were good defensively. I didn't know they were that good defensively. All right, up next, Stanford Steve. We'll do more tournament, and we'll talk football with Steve next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Gonzaga. 
Why did I come in with a meaningless buzzer-beating shot as it relates to who won the game and who didn't? That was TCU at the buzzer last night. Seven-tenths of a second, inbounding the ball down six. Guy just picks it up and chucks it in from 30 feet. Well, that... That ended up uh, being the final game of what was a monstrous weekend for yours truly. I have no idea how my next guest did, but I did see him tweet out an absolute all-timer. Yeah, TCU was getting four and a half, four, depending on where you got it. They're down six, and they roll it up the court, and he drains a 35-footer, 30-footer for the cover 84-81 final. And I was on TCU. Were you on TCU? Stanford Steve, by the way, joining us right now. From of course the Scott Van Pelt show, uh, you were you were on TCU. Sure was. Yeah, yeah, I think you just had to be. I mean, you know, you know what you do. You know the smell test. Uh, if you were, you know, if you bought in, there was a couple things, you know, that were fishy. Uh, you know, to start Saturday, I, I wasn't a believer in Duke. I thought the ACC was just brutal this year. I give them credit for winning the conference tournament, but all that steam they caught. I mean, you know, after the first win. Against Oral, I thought they were going to lose to Oral Roberts, and Oral just—they just—they couldn't beat anybody that day. And Duke made shots, and I just didn't think they had the wherewithal to to make a run. I still think they're freshmen; they've 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 improved a ton. But I think you know, winning that ACC tournament was more about who they played than them. Uh, and then you just go back to you know Kansas. I, I, I thought Arkansas was as dangerous as there was uh, on that eight nine line knowing the capability have, knowing how good Musselman is and micromanaging a game and getting his team ready. And the other thing, they have two lottery picks that didn't play together a lot this year, and now you saw that team gel at the right time. So going back to this, especially Saturday and Sunday, Kevin, because, you know, Scott and I talked on his pod, you know, before the tournament. I just kept looking at the line. Like when you filled out a bracket, to get to that round of 32, those were Sweet 16 games. You know the the you know the intensity level and the capability of the teams because of so much so much parity. And then I just kept looking at the slate. I'm like, I, I can't give any points in these games. So you know, a couple of those favorites, I, I got luck. You know, I just went money line. Uh, UConn was a big one. I just thought they were gonna they were better at every facet than St. Mary's. Oh, you Saint played you, you, you played UConn just on the money line. I did. I did. I didn't want anything to do with giving points because I knew St. Mary's would dictate tempo. I just did you know, so I knew it was going to be a lower scoring game, and that game's staying under uh, for the last two and a half minutes, I think. You might see on bad beats. Uh, it was 128 total, I believe, and it ended at 125, and no scoring, or two points, I think, in the last two minutes. But uh, it, it just, it, it goes, like I said, these, these, this 32 I thought was so much fun because of the matchups, and now you look at the Sweet 16, I think it's 11 conferences are represented. Amazing. So that's what te- Amazing. That's what sh- that just shows you the capability of the teams and the difference in them all. Uh, so that, that's, that, that's why it's so fun. And last night, yes, I, 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 said, I said the tweet out, but the reaction just shows you. Like, I don't know anything else. I, like, if God bless if there was an NFL signing or something. I have no idea what happened outside the sports world because I was locked in on the tournament every second of the day.
Of course, that is the voice of Stanford Steve from Scott Sports Center from the Daily Wager. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at StanfordSteve82. Noel writes uh, via the Apple um, podcast reviews, and you can follow us uh, on Apple. You can follow us on Spotify. That's, by the way, just as important as rating and reviewing us is hitting that follow button, uh, which is in the upper right-hand corner on Apple and in the middle left-hand portion of the Spotify podcast screen but noel writes i love when stanford steve is on the show i save this for you i love when stanford steve is on the show uh the conversation is great uh but i have to say he is a terrific ed mcmahon to johnny carson on the van pelt sports center yes he is uh that kind of dates noel a little bit but that's okay um, we take anybody um, of any age, uh, but you get a lot of good reviews when you come on with me. You're used to it, of course, but uh, enough of that. I do want to actually talk a little bit of NFL with you um, before we finish up, but let's start with you know Purdue losing to Fairleigh Dickinson. What is your take on how that happened, A, and then B, one Big Ten team into the Sweet 16, and it's, and, and it's Izzo. It's almost like it doesn't yeah. even count because that's an expectation. But uh, the Big Ten once again flopping in the tournament. Yeah, I'm trying to rack my brain. I was trying to you know get our research department on some things because I want to talk about with Scott and his podcast. But, I mean, you guys are embedded in it now. And I just I think about all these teams that make the tournament every year, and the last lack of success that that has been. And I thought the the the, the FDU head coach said it all right there. You know, he it, I don't think he was out of his mind. Like he saw the matchup, and when until you're embedded in a team, like when you know your team, you know, and you know the other team, you know, you know how you have to attack. And I just thought it was really telling about how Coach Anderson just said, we liked our matchup. Who who were they going to put Edie on? Because that's what we were going to do. We were going to pull him out. And you saw them just attack and keep attacking Purdue. And in the Big Ten, I just think, you know, everybody gets set in their ways and everybody's accustomed to knowing, you know, you're familiar with your Big Ten teams and you know you, what you have to do to beat them. And then everybody brings their own strength to the table. And that's why I thought Maryland had a successful season this year because they were different. People didn't really know what they were with, with, with the jumbled roster of guys not being on the team and Jameer coming in and being as dynamic. Uh, you know, I called him the biggest difference maker in college basketball this year because I couldn't imagine Maryland this year without him on the floor, how much he did in taking care of the ball, scoring big baskets, you know, making threes, going to the hoop, getting other guys involved. So, you know, Maryland, I thought, was a, you know, about the matchup. I, I thought they had a chance uh, to make it to the second weekend. But when you look at Purdue, you know what they are. It's Edie. You know, they saw, you saw them come. That was the 29-2 to two run, right? Maryland had it at yeah. College Park, you right. know, Purdue. And it was because of the matchup, man. They kept attacking. They kept pulling people out and going by people, drive, kick out threes. That's what this game is now. And I give Fairleigh Dickinson all the credit because, you know, you think of a team from the NEC, and you're like, all right, they're, they're not. I mean, they had elite quickness. They had multiple guys that could handle the ball, and they, they, they didn't turn it over. And what they did, that was unbelievable. They did it again last night against FAU. How they rebound with no size. And to me, that's just effort, man. 
It really just comes down to effort. Uh, I thought you saw it with Miami against Indiana. Indiana came out like they were playing a scrimmage in the first, you know, five, six minutes of that game. Jackson Davis wasn't into it. And Miami, I can give Larinaga a ton of credit. You look at him, you're like, who's this old guy? And then his kids come out and play with a wherewithal that's just so awesome to watch. Uh, so I looked, you know, a lot of them, I, I looked at the bracket before. I was like, how many times, how many teams are going to do this? Uh, I had FAU beating Memphis. I had FAU beating Purdue. They didn't even get a chance to go there. I did have, I have Michigan State going to the Final Four. I just, when I see a bracket, Kevin, um, I went up to the Big East tournament uh, two weeks ago and I saw, you know, these narratives that get created are so funny to me. Because I look at Marquette, and obviously, great story. What Shaka did, not going in the portal this year, and just saying, hey, we're going to do it with the guys we have. Awesome job. But I'm at the Garden at noon on Thursday. St. John's has the ball in the air twice to win the game. If that ball goes in, Marquette's, Marquette's a, I don't know if they're a two seed. Right. You know, so I, I try and get ahead of the bracket, and, and I don't feel great about it all the time. But I have no problem picking against teams who, who 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 sort of become these better than they are teams because people just saw them win a conference tournament, and you don't factor in what that took out of them. So a team like Marquette and a team like Duke, I was totally against uh, coming into this weekend. By the way, Scott told me that that was your first time to the Big East tourna- tournament in 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 the Garden. No, oh. no, I was like my twentieth. Oh well, wh- why did I, I grew? Up. He told me that you said there's nothing that you go to in that sport that's better than the Big East tournament at the Garden. Yep, that's that's a fact. Okay, they, I, so I, maybe I, mean, I maybe I jumped to the conclusion that it, you hadn't been before because I would would have wondered why as a as a as a Connecticut guy and a guy that grew up in that yeah. you know area that you hadn't been. Okay, but you love that's I've never been to the Big East tournament all those years. I either went to the ACC tournament or I certainly yeah. wasn't going to be in the garden while the ACC tournament was going on. No, it's, it's, it's just, it's the Mecca. It's the garden. You have everybody, you know, in it, uh, you know, the fan base is what was amazing to me. And this, I mean, you talk about showing your age. Uh, we're sitting there on press row for that Marquette St. John's game. St. John's hasn't played in the semifinals, which means, they haven't gotten the Friday night at the Big East tournament since 2000. That is their building. And for 23 years, they haven't gotten to, to Friday night. It's just incredible. And I know they've struggled a ton, uh, you know, in the two, since 2000. But still, to win, to get a Friday night game, that, that blew my mind away. And uh, it's actually been pretty cool because Creighton's a school that travels like crazy. They showed up. Xavier, I didn't know what they were going to be. They showed up, but it's a UConn building now. Uh, Nova had their struggles, but it's it's crazy to see the matchups because you have the older teams. And I go back to when Syracuse and Georgetown were going like nothing was better than that. If you got a, a you know a UConn Syracuse game, that that was pure hatred. But now with the new with the new guys in it and them showing up and being top seeds, it, the dynamic of it is incredible. And the the remake of the Garden, how they did all all that over again, it just accentuates. Everything, and you heard Jay Wright talk about it last night. Him and his staff argue year after year what was bigger: going to the Sweet Sixteen or winning a big, winning a Big East tournament. And he sided with the Big East tournament uh, a lot of the times. He said, 
it, look, I, I'm not going to tell this story if you've heard it because many of my listeners have heard it, but I, have I ever told you the Jim Calhoun 2011 Big East Tournament story or not, being in New York? Uh, I don't think so. So I'm up in New York that weekend. This was the Kemba Walker run through the Big yep. East Tournament, all right? And mm-hmm. it's Saturday morning, and my buddy and I, we were up there with wives, and you know, we just were hanging out in New York with them for the weekend, and we were staying at the New York Athletic Club. And so we, uh, Jimmy and I, my buddy Jimmy and I got up um, Saturday morning and we went down and we were playing hoops in the, in the gym, pickup game, et cetera. And we're involved in a close game and UConn, uh, the, the UConn team comes in because they, that's where they're practicing for the Big East tournament. They, yeah. wa- they walk in and the PR guy or some guy from the team walks out into the court and, and tries to stop the game that we're involved in. And he says, you guys got to get the hell out. We're, we, we, we got practice time. It was the day, by the way, of the Big East final. They were playing Louisville. They, yeah. were, they were playing Saturday per team. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and so I said, because I've got a big mouth, I said, dude, just let us finish. It's like, we've got, to, it's two more buckets until the game <laughs> is over. He's like, no go. And Calhoun heard me say that to the dude who was standing there and, and Calhoun walks out and he says, what's the score? And I told him, he said, just finish. It's fine. We'll wait. <laughs> and so <laughs> we finished. And then as I'm walking off with, with my buddy, Jimmy and a couple of, he just said, Hey fellas, if anybody wants to hang out and watch us practice, you're more than welcome. And so yeah. nobody was, I was interested maybe I forget who else hung out, but we sat there and watched them practice. It was not a practice. It was a walkthrough because if my memory serves me correctly, and you may remember this, it was like a four or a five game run to the, to the final. They, they had to win that tournament to get in the NCAA tournament. I'm I'm, I'm convinced they had to do that. And all they, all they did for the hour, and it was an hour or 45 minutes and it was over because they had been playing several games in a row. All they did was walk through their press break. They just mm-hmm. all he worked on was his press break for forty five minutes because they were playing Louisville and Patino, Patino. and they yep. were going to press the shit out of them, and um, mm-hmm. they ended up winning that game. So that's my Calhoun story. For those of, that have heard it many times before, sorry, because uh, <laughs> Steve hadn't heard it. All right, back to Purdue for a moment. Yeah. So I've been a huge Matt Painter fan for a long time. I have too. And I've said many times on this show, I think he's a great coach. And one of these days, I really have rooted for him to get over the hump. Really have wanted for him to get over the hump. Um, But the bottom line is, you know, we know what the results are for Matt Painter in the tournament now. 15 appearances. He's been a top four seed eight times. And he made the Elite Eight where Carson Edwards Edwards went for 42, but Uh, they lost a game that they could have won to Virginia. Um, in overtime, and Virginia went on to win the national championship. Interesting, by the way, Tony Bennett, Matt Painter. To, you, Bet, Bennett's yeah. being crucified for three first-round losses in his last four appearances, but he got the national championship, and yep. Painter was within a whisker of of getting to the Final Four where they may have won it that year, um, but yeah. he was knocked out, and he's lost now to a 16, 15, 13, 12 and an 11 in the tournament as a much higher-seeded team. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you come down on Matt Painter? It, it, isn't it much harder to make the case after losing to a 16 seed that he's a great coach? Yeah, it's here, here's what I say. is I, I was thinking about this as it happened, 
and I'm watching Edie go off the floor, obviously stunned. Uh, and, and the year that he had and what they were, and it was because of him. And I looked at how much better he got himself. You know, he was, he was, you talk about a fish out of water, uh, you know, last year, uh, and, you know, and then they go to Sweet 16 and they, and they get upset, you know, to the 15. They, he, they, they brought him out. And then I just, here's the deal. I think, I, you're not, I don't think you're, you're not firing the guy. You know, I, there's no, you still won a Big Ten title doing what they did. And I think the best thing is the timing of this now for Matt Painter. He's a smart guy. He knows, I mean, talk to anybody that coaches against him. They, they think the world of what he does. Now he has a chance to reassess things because his best player is gone. And, yes, he was a 7-4 player. That doesn't come a long time, and they built around him the last two years. Now you get a fresh start to reassess your roster. You have freshman guards that played way over their head for the majority of the season. And that's what it comes down to me, Kevin, is when you look at these bigs, what do the guys do around them? You know, Edie's going to get his a lot of times. And other teams are going to game plan to frustrate him. And what are they going to do? They're going to say, he's not going to beat us. We're going to let those other guys shoot. And what happens when these upsets happen? The guy, the role players don't make shots. And when it, it, it just gets intensified so much because then it turns into a road game. You know, it's a FAU Memphis game, you know, after Purdue and, and uh, FDU. So what's happened? Everybody, if you're Memphis or FAU, you don't want to play Purdue. You want to play the 16 seed. So you can just see the tense uh, feelings in those Purdue guys as they're shooting open look after open look after open look, and they couldn't knock them down. So to me, it comes down to what the guys do around your star player when you have a guy like that. And now moving forward, I think it's a perfect scenario for Matt to reassess things, change the roster, and, and, and go with a different brand of ball because he's smart enough to know how to play different brands of basketball. I just, you know, he catered to a guy that, that he had and no one else had, and they were going to ride him into the ground, and unfortunately it burned, you know, burned down in historic fashion. In historic fashion. So I, I think uh, it's all warranted. I mean, it, it's on the table. You know, you look at what he did after the game, and, you know, sitting there, sitting there he took every, oh, every question in the press Great conference. point. Every one. Every, every one. one he took up there. And he, he, they, they tried getting him out of there. The, 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 uh, the guy running the press conference said last question, and Matt said, no, I'll stay here. I'll answer it. I want to make sure everything has what they have. And to me, that's as stand-up as you could be. And Tony Bennett did the same exact thing when they lost to UMBC, the same exact thing. He, took, he sat up there and took punch after punch. So I, I get it's hard, uh, but there's still so much good in there. And that, you know, I was texting with Scott last night. The, the idea of every, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to the other Blue Bloods because there's none left now in the tournament, but if everything is accentuated on what you do in the NCAA tournament, and that is a tough, tough way to go about living. When you are getting, you know, all you're getting graded on is a one-and-done scenario, and, you know, I, I look at Cal Perry with the freshman, Matt's done it a different way, and his guys have had that tournament experience. We're, we're in a building last year in Philly, where the whole the whole arena was rooting for the other team, so that that's where I just don't feel. And then you know you get the freshman guards involved this year, and like I said, I thought they were the most overachieving uh, group of guys that you know a point guard that nobody wanted, but turns out to be you know I think he was second team All Conference. Uh, but going back to Painter, I think it's a perfect time with Edie going to reassess things, and uh, you know 
there's only the problem is there's only one way to get the stale taste out of your mouth, and that and that's to win games in the tournament. Uh, and it's a, it's a long road back, but I still would have confidence in Matt Painter knowing what he's done. Yeah, I mean Bennett won it won the national championship the next year, but next year. you know, uh, yeah. So I, I I think it's really really difficult, and I think it's actually unfair um, to judge a coach solely on what he does in March. With that said, Matt yep. Painter's history now of losing to all of these double digit seeds as a much higher seed is no longer like a an aberration. Look, K lost to Mercer, VCU, and Lehigh in the first round. Mm-hmm. Okay, but he also has five national championships. Yeah. You know, and Painter yeah. doesn't have any real March success. Now he's won four or five big Big Ten regular season titles. He's won the Big Ten mm-hmm. tournament, you know, a couple of times. Uh, the other night, <clears throat> as much as I have been a big Matt Painter supporter, and I've talked about him for years, about how I just love, you know, as a basketball coach, what he runs um, and yep. the way uh, he handles things, and they're always well prepared and they scout well everything. But I actually thought Friday night, I sat there and I did not want that to happen. You know, usually you're rooting for yeah. the 16, yep. but I was rooting for him. And I was also, I also knew it would be a blow to the Big Ten, big blow to the Big Ten yeah. with them losing. Huge. But I thought specific to Friday night, I thought, you know, and this is something you see on Twitter all the time he's out coached. He got completely out coached. And then you're like, well, how? And nobody will explain. I'm going to explain. Yeah. Number one, when you, and you mentioned their quickness. Fairly Dickinson's quickness. Mm-hmm. They they could not keep the ball in front of them. So yeah, you no. could you could make the case. Well, we've got a rim protector. That's fine. But the penetration was collapsing the defense and just totally making it easier for their yep. wing players on kickouts. And so they yeah. knocked down threes, or they were able to you know hard fake you know dribble inside, and all of a sudden they got an easy shot. The, you got you have to play some zone. When you can't stop the ball in front of you and you you are getting absolutely, I mean, eviscerated uh, on your front-line defense with your guards not being able to stay in front of the basketball, you got to try some zone he never did. Number two was the, the pressure was bothering them. I'm not talking about the game pressure. I'll get to that. That's my last point. The, the actual pressure, both backcourt and even when they picked it up right around half-court, he yep. never used Edie. When you are, are struggling against pressure oh. and you've got a seven foot four guy, you've got to use yeah. him against the pressure. Edie's down there waiting for the double and the triple and the quadruple teams to come instead of being used in the middle of the floor as an outlet to turn fire and you're two on one. And they should have turned that pressure with Edie into a into a layup and and into a dunk, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a line and drill. And he never did. I thought that was a mistake. And then thirdly, and I don't know how you avoid this, but like you said, 16, all of a sudden it's a road game. Then you you factor in yeah. the past of losing to St. Peter's in North Texas and, and all of these teams mm-hmm. that they've lost to, and you could see them puckered up. You could see them gagging on the court. Gillis, who is a really good three-point shooter, airballed mm-hmm. a, a shot with, I don't know, roughly five, six minutes to go, and then the ball for him became a, became a hot potato. He was frightened. Yeah. He couldn't get rid of the ball fast enough, and they were begging him to shoot, and he wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And so the team mm-hmm. completely choked up, and some of that is on the coach. 
And some of that is yep. on the what develops when a number one seed is in trouble. But man, the pressure on that team, the game pressure down the stretch, they completely oh. crumbled. Crumbled. Yep. And I'll, I'll go back just to say on Painter I'll go back to the Big Ten title game. You watch Penn State, they're down 13. I know, they made a run. And what do they do? And why? I think Matt Painter started out smart himself. He kept taking. Edie out for offense defense. I know he should have used and him like, against the pressure, and then, and then he couldn't get he couldn't get him he couldn't get him back in the game. And and when <clears> you're <throat> up by that many, to your point, you have the rim protector. Those teams are just going to get the quick two. You have got to leave him in the game because he's going to alter that. He's going to alter that and, and leave your guys out on the perimeter and let him just guard the rim if they come in the lamp because they're going to kick it out. They're not going to try and take layups over him. And I just thought going back to that game, I thought he outsmarted himself a little too much because he got caught with 80, not on the court. And then to your point, watch Creighton last night. When things got heated up, McDermott was phenomenal in the press breaker. And what did he do? He brought Kalkbrenner right at half court. Biggest biggest guy on the court, and they just threw the ball to him. He facilitated, and they hit two. I mean, you talk about you know going for it. Two transition threes with double-digit lead with four minutes to go in the game, and that gets the lead, I think, from 12 to 18 yeah. in the blink of an eye, and Z- that game's over. So. Xavier did There's- the same thing. I mean, when yep. you see – when you see, see, Purdue, when you play pressure teams like that and you have somebody that you can throw the ball to in the middle of the floor and turn and make one pass, yep. you should be aggressive in trying to turn that into – quick offense, and Purdue wasn't. Um, But anyway, the Big Ten overall, this is the last comment on the Big Ten, and then I want to talk about a couple of other teams. I And and I know that this stems in part because of the Maryland-Bama game, in which Maryland was up against a much more athletic team. Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, Jaden Ivey, there have been a lot of really good athletes in the Big Ten. I'm not suggesting that the Big Ten's void of of, of long and, and athletic. But they're not as long and athletic as the SEC is. The SEC has become the league, and and I want you to explain why, if it has to do with football programs and NIL money, um, which, you know, is is fairly new anyway, or in the past was it academic requirements, whatever it was. But my God, that they're at the athleticism in that league is better than it is in the Big Ten, and the Big Ten better get more athletic in my opinion, longer and more athletic if they want to be, if they want to generate better results this time of year, what do you think? Uh, I, I totally agree. I believe the SEC going into this college basketball season had the most five-star recruits in a conference. Now, they have a ton of teams, uh, so you're going to have more than the Pac-12 or whatever, stuff like that, but just you know, based on numbers. But what I think you've seen, and Cal Perry did it, was – you know, you're, you're, you know, Kentucky's a one-off because it's the basketball school in the conference, right? But you look at what Bruce Pearl's done with that, you know, the money and the NIL, and look what Oates has done to Alabama. Rick Barnes, I feel like, has done a good job, even though Tennessee's always seemed to, to recruit pretty well in hoops. Uh, but I just look at what, who you're recruiting and what you're trying to do, and I think they've maximized their facilities. Uh, because they got so much money now in that conference and they're printing money, and it's no excuse to the Big Ten. The Big Ten's making as much money as anybody off their off their Big Ten Network deal. So I think, like, I just keep coming back to reassess things and, and look at what the teams that are having success are doing. 
What are they doing? They got more athletes. Are, you know, they're, they're abusing the three point line. Uh, you know, can we do that? How, how do we go about doing that? And when you let, and when you get in a one and done scenario like we're in, you, I mean, look, that pace of Kansas, Arkansas Saturday oh, was incredible. Same with K State, Kentucky yesterday. Yeah. Oh. And, and what does it come down to? It comes down to guys that are able to create their own shot and who have great athleticism on the other end because there's so many times that, the, that there's bad shots taken because of the athleticism on defense. And then the rebound, you have no idea where it's going because it's just a, it's a terrible shot because it's at the end of a shot clock and then it's just a scrap to get the ball. Who comes down with that? The better athletes that are going to be quicker, have better hands, that have longer arms. So I, I look at it as a feeling of Ohio State in football when they got destroyed in those two national title games, and what did they do? I mean, they, I don't think they have a receiver from uh, the north <laughs> since uh, Ryan Day came along, or Urban Meyer for that matter. Uh, but what did they do? They went and got speed. And, that, and now look at how much Ohio State you know, looks different than any other Big Ten team. Now, every team can't do it, but your top team should you know, have versatility uh, because of the, the the numbers you have and 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 all these all the all the intricacies you have as a top program, Purdue's a top program in that conference, and you just feel like there'll be more balance. Uh, that that's the way I would look at you know going going for reassessing things and making your your roster more versatile. I think that that's. I think you nailed it, and and you added so many, uh, so much more specifics to it. I think also the league stylistically, um, and I don't know how you get this to change. Like I, I mentioned last week, and I think this surprised a lot of Maryland fans who always had a problem, me included. One of the criticisms I had of Mark was that we played too slow, that our pace of play was too slow, and many times that was when we had more talent. I didn't like that. I wanted more possessions. And then, you know, Kevin Willard comes in, and it, you know all, all the Maryland fans are like, finally, we're pressing, we're running, we're going to be a fast break team. And we blew out Miami and blew out St. Louis on neutral floors early. Maryland, after the West Virginia game, was 340th out of 368 Division I schools in pace of play in possessions per game 340th out of 368 so you know the reality is is that they were a grinded out team playing fewer possessions per game but to me it was a result of the opponents in their league because as you look at possessions per game that stat there are a lot of big 10 teams well below like the 200 mark and it's the style of the league and the style of play i know izzo will take it out of the bucket and he'll push it at you and iowa yeah. will run a little bit and by the way hoiberg likes to run a little bit with nebraska but the bottom line uh-huh. is is once you you get into this league and Turgeon told me this and Willard's mentioned the same thing man it is hard to get out in transition you're well scouted teams get back mm-hmm. they're well coached and it turns into a grinded out league I mean that doesn't play well in one and duns trying to win six straight games no it's the worst possible thing to have you know because you got you got the Howard underdogs gonna do it they got to speed it up to get more possessions because they can't hang with you in a, in a minimal possession game. So I, I, I'm totally uh, in agreement there. I, I, you mentioned Michigan State, though. Look at I, – I, and look at, like, Tennessee. Look the, 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 the way those guys are built, man. And, and Izzo has not been afraid to say, like, hey, we're not, we're not this leeway program. 
you know, we're not going to give the benefit of the doubt to the players. Uh, I thought the the sideline reporter at his game, I think it was uh, Erdahl. Yeah, Jamie Erdahl. Coming, like when they would, when they go back to her, she's like, man, Tom Izzo was in his guys' faces, and that's the way he's done it. But you mentioned the quick, they they nailed that. Uh, even going back to uh, the the USC game, they caught them sleeping off of makes and doing that transition thing yeah. a couple times, and they got Marquette twice on it yesterday in huge spots. It's just it, it was just awesome to see and, and know that Izzo still has his tricks up its sleeve, and uh, that's a dangerous team, man, because they are not afraid to defend. Uh, I will give them that much credit. Over the weekend, give me your one or two most impressive teams and performances. Oh, um, I I give Princeton a – I was blown away. I watched the – you know, I grew up two seconds from Yale's campus, so I always follow Yale hoops, and they had had a great season. They were – I thought they were the best team – uh, they actually have uh, their best players, the Mbenga kid, who went to good counsel uh, here. And Yale played like crap in the Ivy Championship. Now, it was that four-team tournament. It was at Princeton. But Princeton took that opportunity and ran with it. What they did, I thought, was G- – I mean, you talk about a team that was flawed. Arizona has two seven-footers. What did Princeton do? Minimal possessions. Your twos are not going to beat our threes. And, and again – an undersized team that out-rebounded them. I think they have 40 offensive rebounds in two games. Wow. Uh, I love the match. I love the matchup uh, against Missouri because they play helter-skelter. And uh, I, I just I, – Princeton was a, was a no-brainer for me against Missouri. I actually think they got a really good chance against Creighton because Creighton wants to go up-tempo and Princeton has that style where they're going to slow you down. And why is it effective? Because they're going to make threes. That, 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 that's, I mean, when you break the, oh, this whole thing down and you go just to touch on Purdue one more time, the threes versus the twos, man, it, it adds up when you talk about minimal possessions. That's what happens. Uh, but I thought Kansas State uh, being the first time with that group, first time head coach. Now, I know he has a ton of uh, experience in Scott Drew. Two teams that come to mind right there are, are Princeton and Kansas State because I had no idea. And I think Kansas State is my favorite story. Uh, they got two kids from Harlem uh, that are going back to New York City to play in Madison Square Garden uh, with a chance to go to the Final Four. That was that was really really cool stuff. I, they were the they were the outlier for me in the Big Twelve. That's the best conference, no doubt. But I thought them and TCU they kind of sputtered. Uh, TCU and injuries and and some and some player you know problems that where a player ended up leaving. I thought that freed them up. They just couldn't. They just couldn't score with Gonzaga last night. Uh, Gonzaga, you talk about speeding the team up, that they were tremendous uh, and just nonstop uh, scoring the ball. So Kansas State overcoming what that was because Kentucky um, is a different, you know, a different animal with with Sheway in there. Oof. Kentucky, I think Reeves Reeves didn't make a three. Nope. Uh, but that was Kansas State because that they're down and the, and the only I mean they go, they make three threes. I think it was down two to up seven or up six. Noel. Uh, in the bl- in the blink, yeah, in the blink of an eye. I think it was right after the under four timeout. So those are two teams I was really really impressed with because I didn't un- I didn't know what they were, uh, and I, I should say I didn't I, I I didn't I didn't feel good about where they were in a bracket, and for them to come out, the only way was to play well in those kind of circumstances, and those two teams did. 
Uh, those are good ones. I'm with you on K-State. I did not realize, and I, in watching that game yesterday, I actually thought to myself, they could actually win this whole thing. Um, they're that yeah. good. And, and you know, I thought Noel's performance actually was the best performance, individual performance of the weekend, which I was going to ask you about here in a moment. Um, I didn't really see enough of the, the Princeton-Missouri game. Um, I, I thought yesterday in particular, Michigan State obviously really impressive down the stretch. But I thought, you know, kind of that fir- that first game of the day, I was really impressed with Xavier. They had 22 assists really? on 30 made field goals. 22 of them were assisted. Um, and you talk about, um, look, Sean Miller, even though, you know, there's another guy, right? Arizona, multiple elite yep. eights. He's never coached a team to a Final Four. Personally, I don't even know how he's still coaching after what he, what he was yeah. caught on a wiretap saying. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, he can coach. And that team, no that teams can really spread the floor, can really shoot it. And, and they were so impressive with their ball movement and their spacing. I thought they were really impressive yesterday. And then, I mean, I had St. Mary's. I, you know, I thought Saint, that line looked way too short. And by the way, I thought St. Mary's mm-hmm. actually accounted themselves. Like, they, you wouldn't think it, but St. Mary's is pretty athletic. They've got some quickness and yeah. athleticism on that team. They could not make a shot. I mean, they had a lot no. of open shots that they just couldn't knock down that I think may have, may have made it a more competitive game in the second half. But, man, I'm not the biggest Danny Hurley fan. Um, but mm-hmm. they're loaded, and and I mean <laughs> Hawkins, especially during that stretch uh, in the second half, um, they were really impressive uh, to me. But let's uh, let's move on. I want to talk some football with you. We'll do that with Stanford Steve right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Last uh, topic uh, for you, and then I'll let you run. You're always generous. All right, I have one question for you, too, on the way out. Okay. Um, on the quarterback front, uh, yep. we've, talk, we've talked a lot about quarterbacks on this podcast yep. and off of it, and I know you, know you were the first one to tell me and tell everybody listening, those of you that remember, my God, I was standing on the sideline, Bryce Young is tiny. <laughs> Um, I remember you said that two years ago in, the, in in their semifinal game, and you're like, he's not even 5'10". You know, whatever he measured mm-hmm. out. If it, but you still like Young, and you like Stroud. Yeah. Um, and you think, uh-huh. you know, do you think they'll go in that order, and do you think they should go in that order? I'm not sure what order they're going to go in. I know I knew that Scott and I talked about this all going up to the combine. I said, listen, 
And, and this is what frustrates me about NFL fans because when you ask college football fans, here's, here's, here's my thing. College football fans watch more NFL than NFL fans watch college. Right, right? 100%. So this, this combine thing, like I knew Richardson was going to go, and, and once I saw Bryce was going to do anything, I knew Richardson was going to go crazy at this thing. He, right. he's, he's probably the best athlete in the draft. And then I knew Stroud was going to throw the ball, and everybody's going to talk about his accuracy because when you watch him, he could throw the football, and boy, did he put on a show in that Peach Bowl. Uh, I do think uh, staff could be could could talk themselves into Stroud over Young. I'm just I, I'm not there. I just think Young brings more intricacies to it. I think he has more intangibles, and the size thing. Obviously, yes, it's a factor. Uh, would I trade up to number one to take one of these two guys? No, I wouldn't. But I do. I'm starting to feel like Stroud might go ahead of Young. That that that's the sense. So I you get. think Stroud goes to Frank Reich and the Panthers? Uh, yeah, unless, yeah, unless. What, you think they're yeah, going to take, they're, they're, do you think they're, they, you don't think they're thinking about Richardson, do you? No, 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 okay. no, 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 you can't be. I, I just wonder, yeah, the one thing I have in the back of my mind is Ursay saying the guy at Alabama doesn't look bad and him doing that on purpose, knowing that they want Stroud, if they could finagle themselves to get up there, but I don't think that's going to happen. I just, I just thought that was an Ursay just whoa look at so me. So who I'm would you take? Um I would take uh, Bryce Young. Me too. Um where do you have Richardson? Ahead uh, of Will Levis. Yeah. I'll tell you that. I don't I don't want anything to do with Will Levis. And my my favorite guy is probably Jay Kaner in Fresno State. Yeah. Like I, he's not he's not a star, but I'm I'm fascinated to see where that kid could go because he uh He's not as athletic as Sam Howell, but he's a better thrower. And I think there's, I mean, as a backup and, and a guy that's going to compete every day for a job, I, I'd, I just want to see him uh, where he ends up. I, I, I will say this. I'm sure you've talked about it. Next year is the year for quarterbacks. Yeah. Like there's – Caleb you're gonna You're going to have your pick. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're going to be – compared to this year because you have NFL size. At the quarterback position, that that to me, Kevin, that's what I'm looking at more and more nowadays. Is this is a big boy league, and when you look at it, these the the guys they just don't survive. The little nicks that you get in college, those turn into multiple week injuries in the NFL because of the size of the guys. So why do you love Bryce Young so much? I don't love him. I, I don't. Lo- I wouldn't take him one. Okay. I, I you. I, I was just going off the court. My my. I, there's no doubt in my mind. Will Anderson's the best player in this draft. He should go one. That, that's the way I look at this draft. Okay, he is the best football player in this draft, and I, I just he he will help your team in the NFL. And I I think it's they're getting too cute trying to talk themselves into quarterbacks. Um, and I, I wouldn't take these guys once. I wouldn't do it. Do you think DTR? Do you think Dorian Thompson Robinson's worth uh, you know a a day two pick? No. If you're Washington, you don't. Um, so- no. So you you don't like him as a prospect, period? I I, I don't. I think he's had uh, multiple chances to show improvement. He was better. But when you go back and look at some of the big game decision-making deals, I go back to the SC game this year and then even in the bowl game, it was not the proper uh, 
he, he totally, totally messed up in a big situation in a play that should not have been messed up. And uh, I, I, trustworthy in the NFL, I, I don't agree with it. I, I love his playmaking ability, um, and I, I think he, I, I think he is worth definitely a look. I love Hayner too. Um, by the way, love yeah. him. Um, last one. So you know, you know Mac Brown and his offensive coordinator at Carolina, who's now at Wisconsin with Luke Fickle, Phil Longo, um, yeah. the, the guys that coached Sam Howell. So what do you think? I know we've probably talked about this previously, but it's much more important now to talk about Sam Howell because, uh-huh. you know, Ron Rivera has slapped the QB1 label, off-season label on him. Uh-huh. What do you think uh, they – you've talked to, to a lot of people about Sam Howell, probably even yep. Scott Turner, you know, at various times about Sam uh-huh. Howell. So what do you think um, based on all your conversations and your own personal opinion about Sam Howell's – prospects for becoming an NFL starting quarterback legitimately. I love that he sat the majority of the year. I, I, I know, you know, you want to go to the playoffs and, you know, the quarterback thing for him to be able to sit there for a whole year and assess things, I think is really huge because not only does it help, you know, him, you know, see the game. I think he learned a lot about himself and watching, you know, the, the team struggle at that position, and knowing throws maybe that you've made in college that you can't make, and, and watching on tape and being in those film sessions to hear the quarterback explain why they did it, and then to him have you know him calculate that in his mind. I think that's that's the stuff that's huge, and I get it. Time is is brutal in the NFL. There's not a lot of it, uh, so I love the idea that he sat for a year and was able to see multiple guys go through it, um, and he still has. The head coach uh, there, I think that's huge. And with the, you know, you got you went out and got the enemy for this reason to help this guy as your quarterback. Uh, so I, I I feel great about the opportunity that Sam has. Uh, and like I said, I don't think you're going to get that you know gambler of of a thrower that he was in college. Now you know we've talked about this in college. He had to take chances because he had no defense. You know, None. this is a totally reverse reverse thing. You know, you, you know, you throw the ball away on third down and you play field position with your defense in the NFL, with, especially with this commander's team. Uh, so I, I love the idea of it. I, I just I love what he brings to the table. Uh, he does. He never got credit for how good of an athlete is. And he is that good of an athlete. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping for the best of them because I really, really like the kid. All right. You've said you're hoping for the best of them. You love that he was able to sit back the entire year. But what do you think? Yeah. Do you think that he is a potential future you know, franchise kind of quarterback or at least like a top half of the league kind of a guy? Do you think he'll develop into that or not? I don't know if he's going to be a top end of the league guy, but I think he's smart enough, Kevin, to realize the situation he is in, okay, and what he has to do to play winning football with this team, knowing that the strength of your team is the defense. I think he's smart enough to realize that. I think he's right on the cut. He'll end up being right on the cusp of the franchise quarterback. Uh, but they are going to be a successful team. Maybe not because of him, but he is going to get them in the right direction because he knows how to play the angles of what this team is. They have weapons to use. He knows that. Uh, I think he's smart enough to know on third down he could use his legs uh, to, to get first down. So I think he's going to be on that cusp. Where when that contract is there, it, I, think it, I think it's like a Daniel Jones scenario. That, that, that's what I think. I think it's going to be a tough decision. And, and what, what has he done for you? 
in these two years, that's what it's going to come to. I think it's going to be good enough where you're going to want to keep them. Thank you for doing this, uh, as always. Uh, Stanford Steve, uh, boys and girls at Stanford Steve 82. Uh, listen to his podcast with Scott. Watch him on the Daily Wager. Watch him on Scott's Sports Center every single night. Um, thanks. You're the best. Appreciate it. Where's Carson Wentz going? Oh, that was your one question. Uh, <laughs> does he end up getting a deal with anybody? Does anybody give him a shot on a roster as a backup? I don't know. I, I don't see how. I don't see how you want anything to do with him. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, there isn't anybody in that building that will tell you, okay, on or off the record, that he was like a major distraction. Now, I also believe that it would be hard for people off the record to tell you that they were in love with him, all right? So I think it's kind of somewhere in between. It's not the Philly situation. It's not the Indy situation. But it's not like all of a sudden he became the easiest uh, in the world. But um, I think he handled himself in a more mature way as an older person here um, than maybe he did in Philly or in Indianapolis. But, yeah, I think that, look – before this deal happened last year, there were red flags all over him. This organization mm-hmm. not only chose to ignore those red flags, they overpaid for him as well. They were completely fleeced in the deal with the Colts, um, which is typical of this organization going back for a long time. People stand in line to do deals with Washington. And, uh, and I don't think anybody's going to fall for it this year. That's I think that there's a chance his career's over. Although you'll probably get somebody that'll say, we need a veteran quarterback just on the roster. But that veteran quarterback has to be a guy willing to mentor and to be something to the younger quarterback in the building. And I don't know if that's Wentz. Yeah, I, I think it's I think he gets to call the first injury in a camp. That's that's what I think is gonna happen. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, thanks. All right. Have a good one. All right, that's it for the day. Back tomorrow with Tommy.